Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits, which are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important for Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. day infinity of the pandemic. But the good news is there is light at the end of the tunnel now. Uh, yes? Because there's all of these vaccines that are suddenly coming available. Not immediately, but in the next several months. I am hopefully optimistic. Is that a thing I can be? Hopefully optimistic? That, that they'll be like, oh yeah, totally safe for humans. Everything's fine now. I have my fingers crossed. Uh, it would be nice to have things get back to relatively normal by next summer. Oh, that would be great. At this point, I'm just happy to go back to something that resembles normal at some point. Just uh, cram a whole bunch of stuff that you missed out on this year nothing into but, your summer. Nothing but parties, hugs, hug parties. Go to Actually go to a restaurant and sit down? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. When was the last time we went to a restaurant? I honestly do not recall. It's been that long. It may have been an entire year. Uh, Yeah, I believe that. I think it might have been last December. And it is mid-November as we speak right now, so pretty close to a year. Happy birthday last time <laughs> we went to a restaurant. You're a whole year old now. Oh, goodness. You're older than our youngest. Yeah. We're saying something. Right? Yeah. So it's been a really long time. All oh, that yeah. makes me sad. That's not to say we haven't gotten takeout. Oh no, we've we've had delivery, and we've, yeah. I've been through a drive-through. I don't know how many times. But uh, actually, going to and sitting in a restaurant. Yeah, going into a dining room proper. No, <laughs> we have not done that. One thing we have been doing fairly regularly, though, is reading because yes. we've got lots of time for it. We have kept up with our podcast, and I'm glad we have. Yeah. Um, and so that seems like a good segue into a brief recap of our previous chapter, where we finally learned a little bit about some stuff. <laughs> and plot happens. And possibly vampires, question mark? Maybe. Hard to say. And oh. a woman just full of magic lightning. Right? Scary magic lightning. Yeah. Who then ran off a cliff. And <laughs> that pretty much took us right to chapter eight of Black Leopard, Red Wolf by Marlon James. So we start with the trio heading to the collapsed tower where the slaver Kasawura had arranged to meet them. Mm -hmm. This is where uh, this is where Marlon James get a, gets a little bit Tolkien-esque in his description. Like, there was a long story about why it's called the Collapse Tower. 
Yeah. Even though it's not collapsed. This is like it's wonderful and and rich and very world building, but it has nothing to do with the story. The tower is perhaps slightly misnamed because it has not actually fallen over. It's more like it is falling over. <laughs> the um, collapsing tower. Yeah, and it's also in a in like the wrong side of the tracks in Malakal, which has already been described as a city built by thieves. Right. So it is somehow the worst part of town. It is and, the scary part of Scaryville. Yeah, and Tracker has never really had any reason to be in this part of town, which is a little surprising, really, considering his line of work. Just thinking that. There's also a moment here as they're on their way where Tracker legitimately pulls Leopard aside and is like, you should like thank the boy there, Fumali, for you know saving our lives the way he did. And Leopard's like, yeah, sure, I'll get around to that. And Tracker's like, he's not going to get around to it. So he actually takes a moment and is like, yo, dude, thanks for saving us. And Fumali's just like, I didn't save you. <laughs> and Tracker's just like, Ugh. So three jerks walk into a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of the way it goes. Kind of how it sets up here. Kasawara greets them as they arrive and invites them in. Uh, Leopard changes and goes looking for some food in the back. And Tracker kind of takes a lay of the land because they're kind of the last to arrive after a fashion. Yeah, apparently. Already there is an old woman sitting cross-legged in the room. She looks like she's meditating or talking to herself at first glance. We later learn she's actually doing magic. But in, in the moment, it's not necessarily obvious. To use very modern parlance, uh, she's super sus. Yeah. Tracker does note that Hank Dateman is there, along with Kasawara. <laughs> ah, Hank Dateman. There's an incredibly tall man that Tracker nearly mistakes for a pillar in the corner. Right? Like one of those shaped pillars that's holding up the roof? Dude is super tall. Yeah. It turns out that he is an ogo, which is a giant yes. from the mountains. That's kind of what we call the The slaver does call him Sadogo by name we mostly just get ogo throughout the chapter though yeah part of me read that as sad ogo <laughs> he doesn't uh, seem too sad no but just the way the word is formed and the way my brain works i was like oh sad ogo oh and then he also notes the tall woman who he recognizes from the prison tower last chapter yes hello lady the tall woman instantly picks him out as a member of the ku tribe he objects insisting that he was raised in juba which yeah. is technically true yeah and I suspected that this is partly because he's kind of forcefully severed ties with the coup, having committed all those murders before. Right. And is still kind of resentful of them. But I think he's also a little off-put by her just kind of like instantly calling him out like that. Yeah. He's like, oh God, is it obvious? Because oh, no. he hates being read by people instantly. Right. Which is his life so far. It's just people looking at him once and going, yeah, I know you. Yeah. We know your type. In particular, she says he smells like a coup, which is... A little interesting, because right. we also noted that she seemed to know that they were in the tower the night before. So does she also have a nose? Maybe, but we also later find out this chapter that she kind of knows about Tracker. No. Someone has already filled her in on this guy. Yeah. So, in fact, he can smell that thing on her right now, and he isn't quite able to place it yet. It's the same smell he caught on her last chapter. Yep. He smells it again, and he just can't quite put his finger on what it is yeah, at this moment. It's familiar, but he can't place it. He'll get there. Oh, he will. So the slaver calls for attention and reiterates the story of the boy's disappearance. Kinda. Kind of. His He tells the story like two or three times. And it's slightly different every yeah, time. Yeah, he tweaks it a little bit every time. Yeah. 
which which sends up red flags for Tracker. Yeah. He says at dawn, the plan is they're all going to horse up and head to Congor, where the boy was taken, so that essentially they can start the search at ground zero. Yeah. Even though Tracker, in particular, is just like, why? <laughs> it's it's a trail that's three years old. Why would we bother starting there? Leopard also speaks up, finally asking for a little clarification on who this boy really is. And the slaver says he's the son of a dead friend. And Leopard presses to find out why it's so important he's found. And Cassowara kind of dismisses this. He's like, I'm not paying to be interrogated. I'm just paying to have the boy found. Yeah, he kind of dances around it. Leopard, however, as you say, some red flags have have popped up. And he asks, well, why was the boy staying with an aunt and not his mother? And the slaver says, well, his mother also died. His father and his mother both caught river sickness because his father was fishing in the wrong pond and spirits got them. But the father was an old partner of mine, which is why I care about the boy so much. And he's set to inherit this father's fortune. And at that point, Tracker is like, well, that story makes no sense whatsoever. Why would the partner of a rich slaver, presumably a rich slaver himself, be doing his own fishing? (laughs) Also, you didn't say he was with an aunt. You said he was with a housekeeper. Yeah, the story has changed. Why was he with a housekeeper yesterday and he's with an aunt today? So Leopard and Tracker are like, okay, tell you what. Why don't you start over from the start? Let's see what goes on here. And sure enough, Cassowara again can't keep the story straight. Why is he such a bad liar? He's just a terrible liar. Tracker pulls a weapon at this point. Leopard begins to shift because they're assumption is that they're being played in this moment right and they're kind of surrounded by strangers so you can see why they would get very paranoid in that moment totally reasonable reaction to the situation getting a little ahead of ourselves tracker will at some point ask if this is a plot against the two of them some sort of ambush and the old woman in the corner is the one who's like why would anybody plot against you you're nobody (laughs) which okay she has a point sick burn but also kind of true yeah the old woman says the slaver is actually just a messenger. He is a middleman who was hired to obscure the truth of who the real employer was. She also calls out Tracker for sounding a bit like a Sangoma and wonders if that is the same Sangoma who gave him his wolf sigh and Tracker is just like, shut up, you. <laughs> we, we pretty sure it isn't. Yeah, we get a little back and forth between him and the old woman. Uh, we'll learn her name a little later is uh, Sogolon. Yes. And she's clearly enjoying it. The tall woman also finally introduces herself. Uh, she is Nasaka Nivampi. It's a good name. Tracker asks after the man who took the boy, and she asks, why do you assume that it was men who took the boy? He's like, go on. <laughs> and she's like, I have read the report in Congor about what took place that night. If you come to Congor with us, we can do some more investigating and you can find out what went on. Tracker is not satisfied with this, though. He's like, you guys all seem to know what's going on here, and you're feeding us scraps of information, but you expect us to join your little mission. And that's not going to happen unless we get a straight story. Leopard says they should walk at this juncture, and Tracker stops him and is like, wait a minute. That witch over there, she's been drawing runes in the air this whole time? Mm -hmm. What looked like meditation? She's either keeping something in or holding something out. And I'm curious what that might be, because I think it's all wrapped up in what's going on. Also, it smells funny in here. Because he can still smell something in the room. So he kind of invites whatever it is to reveal itself. And that something does indeed reveal itself. I want to see the cool visual effects that are this next scene in the book. Sure. Right? 
as a monster T-1000s itself into the room? Basically. Have you seen this boy? Uh, let me reiterate that. As a god T-1000s itself into the room? Right? <laughs> Still, I just the way it's described with, you know, the water droplets and things flowing and things morphing, and it just sounds cool. And I, I would like to see a visual representation of that. No one is super surprised that this is happening, except maybe tracker and leopard the old woman clearly knew this was about to happen the yogo looks curious at best nasaka takes a step back like she was expecting it but wasn't expecting it mm -hmm. she's expecting something but not this yeah and the liquid kind of forms itself into the shape of a woman tracker immediately grabs a torch and he's like back omolozu <laughs> assuming that she's one of the ceiling demons yes. that we'd previously encountered and she kind of laughs this off and is like did i just come out of the roof well, uh, yeah, but she kind of is, and she, but she kind of isn't. She will eventually explain that she is related to, but not the same as an Omaluzu. There's a lot of kind ofs happening when we talk about this woman. She's kind of a ceiling demon. She's kind of not. She kind of explains it, but sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she explains that she is called Bunshi. Tracker kind of is like, so you're some kind of lower god or something. And she's like, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kinda. <laughs> uh, he also calls her some sort of imp at one point, and she's like, wow, your nose was famous, but not your mouth. <laughs> oh, yeah. These two are trading barbs. Like, they're practically flirting. I mean, Tracker's mouth should probably be as famous as his nose, because... Uh, oh, he loves to run off his mouth, doesn't he? Oh, yes. And Nasaka rightly points out that his ability to put his foot in his mouth should be just as famous. <laughs> I think he'd be better at it by now. Yeah, Tracker is, however, a little surprised that his reputation has preceded him here. Uh, she calls him a great friend to cheating wives and enemy to cheating husbands. That's true. And uh, he kind of, like, straight insults her in, in reply. Uh, because age apparently has not in any way tempered his oh, disdain no. for any sort of, a th for even the, oh. the, the slightest hint of authority. <laughs> no. Uh, and so she very nearly drowns him. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> she just like thickens the air around his head until it turns into a, a ball of water. Yeah, and then he can't breathe. Yeah, Leopard goes to defend him, but she just turns into a liquid and slips away. But then the Ogo actually catches her. Yeah, so I don't know what that means. Yeah, Tracker surmises that he must have some sort of magic touch. Maybe. Because he it seems Ogo. to form lock her. And I'm curious if that might work on shapeshifters. Oh. If that is indeed a thing that he can do. Maybe. She releases Tracker. And Tracker at that juncture is like, cool, I'm out. Okay. See y'all. Okay, thanks, bye. And this is when Sogolon speaks back up and says, okay, yes, you're right. There is more to the story than is going on. If you stay, we will explain everything. In spite of everything, Tracker begrudgingly accepts because he is curious. Right? About this weird, impossible task. He can't, he can't help that part. He, he does want to know. Uh, and <laughs> he says, okay, fine, I'll stay. But if your story is as dull as the slaver's story, I will carve nasty comments in the floor. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to sit here and just do graffiti. And be petulant. Uh, because he recognizes that there's probably nothing he can do to harm her. Yeah. But he doesn't want to be bored either. So this is when we get a very interesting bit of backstory, actually. Uh, she asks, what do you know about the king? And Leopard and Tracker are both like, king, king. Who's king? Pishaw. Yeah. So... She tells him a little story about Quashdar, the king, who we already knew. He was explained that he was coming to town last chapter. Yep. Um, and he had a friend growing up by the name of Basu Fumanguru. 
and they were like brothers. Mm -hmm. Total bros growing up, even if Basu was kind of better than Quash at pretty much everything. He was that friend who was just better, yeah, better than you. but you're friends anyway. Eventually, Quash became King Quash, and Basu was kind of like the guy on his shoulder. He had his ear. He was his best friend. The problem is, in this kingdom, there are kind of two co-equal powers. One is the king. Yes. And one is the council of elders, who's yes. kind of like a religious authority, sort of, it's implied. Uh, implied, but not stated, so I'm not really sure. It's it's like it's like a chamber of nobility, after a fashion. Yeah. And they council... Like the House of Lords, maybe? Yeah, they council the king, and then the king makes decisions. And there's kind of a balance of power between them. Yeah. But the king kind of wanted a guy on the inside who could nudge the council in the direction he wanted. And he was like, Basu, you're my bro. I want mm -hmm. you to take up this new, this, this vacancy that's just opened up on the council of elders. And Basu was super reluctant because he was like, I don't know, man, that's I'm, a lot of responsibility. I'm not old enough to be an elder. I'm quite young still. It would require me giving up a lot of stuff. I'm not certain I want this. And King Quash was like, dude, you're taking the job. This is not a request. And Basu was like, oh, fine. I, I don't have a choice. But then twist, Basu really likes the job. Yeah, it turns out he he turns out he loved it and he was kind of good at it. He was excellent at it and took it incredibly seriously and did not do what King Quash wanted him to do. Instead, he turned that around and started using his influence on King Quash to get the king to do the stuff that the council wanted because he recognized that the council was doing better work than the king in theory at the time. Well, I, yeah, at the time. And but then, you know, Things, things change. Things always go awry. He and King Quash butt heads a lot over this, and their friendship essentially falls apart. And then the king finally decides to kind of take a, a pot shot at the council by taxing their land, something apparently that has just never been done before. And when the Council of Elders is like, you can't tax us, we're the Council of Elders, the king is like, oh, reneging on your taxes, guess you're all in jail now. And that did not go well. You don't say. Yeah. Apparently, the gods or spirits or witches, who knows, did not care for the Council of Elders being thrown in prison, and a monsoon began Whee. to just flood the land with torrential rain until the king was like, okay, Basu, I'm going to let you go. Just make the rain stop. This resulted in the people beginning to see Basu as a more important authority than the king, and the balance of power swung to the Council of Elders. And they... So, you know, that went over really well with the king. Well, not only did that go over with the king, that resulted in the Council of Elders going, oh, we're calling the shots now? We're going to get super corrupt all up in here. Right? Things go awry. Yeah. And people begin to see them growing powerful and wealthy and exploitative mm -hmm. when they don't have the king there to balance their power. Basu, to his credit, remained above the corruption. And actually, he was the only one. That's yeah. the impression I got. He was the only one. Yeah, yeah. Because again, he took his job very seriously. And he began to be outspoken against his fellow counselors. And when they were kind of caught in the act of doing something shady, people would inevitably go to Basu to put some pressure on the council to ease up. But eventually, Basu caught one of his fellow counselors doing something real terrible and killed the guy. Yeah. Like in a, in a moment of white hot rage, uh, of white hot outrage. Straight murders the guy. And he's like, that was probably a mistake. <laughs> and so he kind of flees to Congor, which is kind of on the fringes. He hopes out of the reach of, of his immediate enemies, who are, at this moment, 
everyone in power in the kingdom. Basically. And uh, yeah, kind of sets up camp there in, in a sort of self-imposed exile. But alas, it was not to save him. No. On the Night of Skulls, apparently a, a portentous time, mm. someone hired a witch to summon actual Omaluzu in the house. And Bunshi actually asks Tracker, now you have some experience with the Omaluzu. Mm-hmm. And indeed he does, as we well know. Yes, we remember. And she mentions that once your blood has been used to summon them, they will they will hunger for it. They will thirst for it forever. Yeah. There's no... There's, they will know you and they will find you. Yeah, apparently it's impossible to get rid of the curse. But the good news for Tracker in his particular case is they were summoned to hunt him in the underworld. And when he escaped back to the mortal realm, they could not follow. Right. And apparently that's just a rule. That's something they can't do. It's a strange rule, but there it is. And apparently it works both ways. So if they're summoned in the mortal world, they can't follow you into the underworld. Which I'm sure for someone else is very handy. I wonder if that means if Tracker ever dies, he's going to get hunted by demons forever in the afterlife. That makes sense. Yeah. And that would be pretty terrible for him. Yep. Yep. He actually (laughs) even mentions here that it was a full year before he ever slept under a roof again. Right. Just out of paranoia that they were still hunting him in the morning. Right, world. that they could find him. So, as the Omaluzu curse is uh, impossible to shed and is real bad, and the Omaluzu are driven into a blood frenzy when they're summoned, of course, they slaughter everyone in Basu's house. Yes. Just an absolute massacre. Leaving uh, Basu and his infant son. Yeah, Basu Jr. For last. Yeah, yeah. And this is kind of where Bunshi comes in to play. Apparently, she sensed the summoning of the Omaluzu because, again, she is akin to them, if not one of them. And so she she was able to sense their being summoned by whatever witch had been hired to, to do this. And she was like, oh, that's weird, and went to check it out. And happened upon Basu Sr. and Basu Jr. <laughs> trying to make a run for it. She was like, okay, listen up, guy. I can save the boy, but really, that's it. There's no way I can save both of you, and I probably can't save you, but I could save that infant because I'm not a monster. And Basu's like, all right, the the survival of the boy would be a testament to the fact that the king and the council used black magic against me, basically. Used the blackest magic against me. She's like, the kid won't remember anything. He's a baby. He's a baby. And, he, and Basu's like, yeah, but the king will remember. That's true. Yeah. So she actually hides the child inside of her. That's gross. Well, she is made of, she is a woman what's made of water. Yeah. So she, like, she, like, like envelops him, like, womb-like yeah. inside of her. So then she looks like a pregnant lady fighting shadow ceiling demons. Yeah. Uh, Basu <laughs> Sr. is slain, stone dead, and she manages to fight off a few of the Omaluzu and escapes. Leopard is wrapped at this story. This is the greatest thing he's ever heard in his life. Right? He's got his popcorn out. He's like, oh my God. Tracker's eyes are rolling so hard, they're ready to just <laughs> pop right out of his head. He's not sure he's buying any of this story. And she knows it, too. She's like, look, Tracker, I'm not here to impress you with this story and have you, out of the nobility of your golden heart agree to take on this heroic quest to save an innocent. I am going to pay you money. (laughs) And lots of it. Yeah, I don't care what you think. I'm willing to pay you a huge sum of money to find the boy, and I know you're going to take that as a job. And Tracker's 
not even really able to argue with that point. He's yeah. like, man, you're probably right. Everyone has their price, and his just happens to be really high, mm-hmm. and she's willing to pay it. So Leopard kind of gets us back on track then, and he's like, so what happened to the boy anyway? And Bunchy says, well, I took the younger Basu to a blind woman in Mitu who would not know him because she's blind, mm-hmm. and had a child of her own and could act as wet nurse, basically. Because yeah. I'm I'm a woman what's made of water. I can't yeah, look can't, after a child. can't look yeah. after a human baby. Bad news, that woman totes betrayed her and sold him into slavery in the Purple City. (sighs) She did not long survive her transgression against a minor deity. Bunchy went looking for the boy herself and tracked him to a merchant who intended to take him east, but she was too late. Someone had attacked that merchant's caravan, just ransacking it, killing everyone except the boy who was taken. And Tracker's like, well, then the king took him, like, right? That's That must be what happened. That's clearly who that was. And Bunchy's like, no, he's definitely still alive. I know he's still alive. If the king had him, he'd be dead already. So it can't be the king and his men. And Tracker's like, all right, so why do you care personally so much about this that you want us to, three years later, go after this boy? And Bunchy's like... Don't you care if a child is raised by killers? And he's like, a child raised by witches is no better, which I thought was a nice little bit of back and forth. (laughs) He's like, what what use could a boy possibly be to murderers anyway? And she's like, "Mm, you know, you know that they found a use for him. And Tracker's like, oh, right. The lightning woman story from last night. The vampire. Right. So Tracker at this point is just like, all right, so if we've get this boy for you it's because you want to use him against king quash correct and she's like basically yeah uh he is proof that the king is behind a murder using dark sorcery yep and all i really care for is that you find him because king quash is dirtier than you than you know or would care to know is basically what she implies so there's definitely some more story there yeah she's got beef with the king somehow yeah so nasaka at this juncture is like tracker You've got the whole story. You're welcome to come to Congor with us or not. It is your choice. Bunchy's the one who wanted to hire you, and it's really the only reason that you're here. That's when Tracker gets that smell again. Right? It's that smell that he just can't put his finger on. That's been on Nasaka this whole time that he thought was Bunchy but wasn't. And now it's starting to get stronger again. And he recognizes something's coming up the stairs. And as it gets closer... The urge to kill rises. (laughs) Yeah, and then the light bulb clicks on. Yeah. Right? He's figured it out. Nasaka tells the newcomer that he's late, and then Tracker attempts to commit a murder. (laughs) That is putting it gently. (laughs) Yeah, like hatchets get thrown, two men go tumbling down tower stairs to the basement. Elaborate fight scene. Uh, a, a, A very haphazard scrap occurs in the basement. There's lots of punching and kicking and and biting oh, and clawing yeah. it it's is, it is it is angry and aggressive and passionate yeah uh leopard and nasaka both catch up it's kind of nasaka who initially breaks up the fight with a blade to tracker's throat that's when sogalon summons a gust of wind to like throw everyone into the corners of the room and and split everyone up <laughs> Children, children. So we learn that the man Tracker attacked instantly on sight is a guy by the name of Nika. At this juncture, we only find out that they're, they used to be partners and there was probably a betrayal. We will learn more about that this chapter. So much more about that. Yeah. Uh, Bunchy at this juncture tells Leopard and Tracker to get out. Like, it's just like, be gone. 
that's when we kind of smash cut to later that night. And Bunchy actually revisits Tracker at his room Mm -hmm. at the inn and is like, okay, now that cooler heads are prevailing, what exactly is going on with you and Nika that you want him dead? And Tracker's like, I don't want Nika dead. I want to kill him. There is a difference. Yeah, I don't just want him dead. I want yes. to do it myself. And Tracker decides to humor her request for the story about this. And then we get a little bit of backstory. So now we get into the second half of this uh, lengthy chapter, which is and all about and all pr- about Nike. And probably could have been its own chapter, actually. Yeah, actually, I'm surprised it wasn't. So apparently... Uh, Tracker met Nika in Fasisi a few years ago after he and Leopard had parted ways for the first time. Uh, he'd taken a job for a woman who was suspicious her husband had taken yet another mistress, tracked him to an opium den, and found him in a very compromising position. The kind of compromising position that will one day lead Basu to murder a fellow counselor. Yes. In a, in a white-hot rage. The man, however, is basically a sumo wrestler. He is enormous oh, yeah. and surprisingly fast. And Tracker is nearly killed by him. Uh, beaten soundly. Yes. Yeah. But then he's saved by Nika, this guy, who he had seen downstairs and just like ran up and saved his bacon. Uh, and the two of them strike up a friendship and a partnership mm-hmm. after that. It turns out that they make a solid duo. Tracker's good at finding people. Nika's good at finding business. Yeah. Making monies. Yeah, it worked well together. Tracker does note even then, though, that whenever they were in a town where Nika knew someone, that someone generally wanted to kill him, (laughs) which should have been an initial red flag. My my favorite was the woman who just walked up to him and just slapped him. Yeah. Uh, very, I don't know why that amuses me so much, but it always does. Very Jack Sparrow moment there. Right? Yeah. I thought of that, too. After some time working in Fasisi, Nika decides, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go spend some time with my mom whom I've spoken about a number of times and am kind of estranged from, but it's been a long time. I should go visit. The two of them agree to meet up again in Malakal, despite the fact that they're heavily drinking that night. Nika suspiciously keeps telling Tracker to drink more and more and more and more. And Tracker comes to chained up, gagged, and being peed on by a hyena. Yeah. So he discovers suddenly that he's in the custody of shape changers who are bickering over whether they should eat him now or eat him later or eat him slowly or eat him quickly. <laughs> or eat him as a group. They're trying to figure out how to kill him slowest, slowest and bestest. Yeah. So this pack of hyenas tell him that they have unfinished business with him and that they've been very patiently waiting for their moment. Tracker is legit like, why? what's going on? Like, totally flummoxed. But they explain, oh, no, we remember you from all those years ago at the Hills of Enchantment. You remember when you were saving some Mingi children from a pack of hyenas? A young boy with a pair of hatchets? Yeah, that was us. We're kind of pissed about that. Yeah. What does it mean? It means Omerta. It means Rewenge. He's curious exactly how he managed to even get caught. He doesn't really say it out loud, but they rub it in his face. Apparently, Nika, despite being super sus has been marinating him for over a year. Yeah. And he took a big bag of gold and sold them out. Yeah. Yeah. I'd want to kill someone who did that to me, too. Yeah, he gets into kind of a rage here and insults the hyenas, perhaps ill-advisedly. Foot in mouth. And uh, this is where we learn how he lost his original eye. Ew. Yeah. It was. Gr- I'm sorry, it was gross to read. Like, just the 
pages upon pages of unusual tortures. Oh yeah, no, they spent put him through. Like I don't ever want to read that again. Yeah, they spend a good fortnight just finding inventive ways to torture him and keep him alive, despite that they continue to argue over whether they should kill him now or I guess take him back to the rest of the clan for judgment. So yeah, uh, after a fortnight of torture at the hands of very mean hyenas. I would like to point out these are also shape-shifting hyenas. Oh, yeah. Because sometimes they're women and sometimes they're hyenas. And sometimes they're a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Right. Because, again, shape-changing is on a spectrum. It, yes. At some point, he thinks he dreams being let go in the savannah so that they can hunt him. It's unclear if that really actually occurs. But then later, he wakes up in the desert. Yeah. With like no alone. idea how he got there. And for a time, he even wonders if he imagined being prisoner to the hyenas. Like, it's all just it's all just a haze and a blur at this time. Yeah, except that his eye is still missing. So there's evidence that that, that part, at least, was real. Yeah. He's kind of stumbled upon by a man on his way to Sisi. Yeah, puts him in his cart. Yeah, but uh, Tracker bails before they get to the city because he doesn't super trust the guy. Uh, I imagine Tr Tracker doesn't trust hardly anybody anymore ever again, ever. Quite probably. Um, he heads back to his room at the inn and finds it pretty much exactly how he left it. And surprisingly so, because he would have assumed that Nika would have taken everything. But Nika didn't even take the money, which surprises him. Yeah. So there's something up there. There's there's a, there's a something else inside this, and I'm curious to find out what it is. I suspect we will learn that there's more to this story than just Tracker's side. As with most of the stories that Tracker has told. Indeed. There always seems to be a little bit more. Tracker collects his belongings that he needs and tracks Nika to Malakal because he can track Nika. Oh, yeah. He knows um, that smell real well. And the whole way, he's just concocting more and more devilish revenge <laughs> schemes. Even though I by imagine, the I imagine him just muttering all the way there yeah. about the horrible things he's going to do. When he gets to Malakal, he actually even kind of tries to convince himself, no, you know what? Screw that guy. I'm just here to find work and we're done. But then I found the street he was on, and the house he was in, and the room that was in the, yeah. the room inside that house. So Tracker knows he can't strike at Nika immediately because he's still in rough shape after a week of brutal torture. He takes a little bit of time to kind of regain his lost strength, and then finally moves on the inn Nika has been staying at. Uh, the innkeeper apparently got paid off by Nika to kind of keep Tracker at bay, but Tracker pretty handily dispatches that guy. Heads up to Nika's room. But doesn't find Nika there. Well, he finds Nika's skin. Yeah, Nika left his skin behind like an old jacket. Yeah. As you do. You know, like 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 a Nika suit. Yeah, like a Nika suit. Like an, like an Egger suit. <laughs> but because the scent stuck with the skin, Nika is in the wind, and Tracker can't catch him. Right, because he doesn't know what he smells like anymore. That's right. And Tracker doesn't even know what the heck to make of this. Right. Neither do I. What yeah. kind of weird shapeshifter is he? He might not be a shapeshifter. It's possible that he hired a witch or someone to help him shed his skin. I suppose. I don't or, know how all the witch witchcraft works. Indeed. Or it's possible that he's some kind of spirit or shapeshifter who can do that thing. Maybe he's a snake shapeshifter. Maybe that's something he can do. Ew. We don't know. Either way, that means that Tracker was denied his revenge and... That kind of leads us to today, though Though he did, of course, vow that if he ever saw Nika again, he would kill that guy. Well, and he tried. Yeah. <laughs> so here we are. So Bunchi at this time, back kind of in the past present, because we're dealing with several different time periods. I would just like to point out that 
we are listening to Tracker tell a story about a time he told a story to someone. Yes. In a story. Yeah. Yeah. Layers. Um, and Bunchy is like, well, if he had shed his skin and his scent stuck with the skin, how did you recognize him in the tower? How did you know he was coming? How did you smell that he was there and that he was on Nasaka? And Tracker's like, you know what? Because he always chewed cut. I bet it's like a chewing tobacco, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's often made into tea. Yeah. And it's got a really recognizable smell. And I wasn't making the connection at first, but when he came up the stairs, I got it. That's what I was smelling. Yeah. I was smelling the cot. <laughs> and then that led immediately to, I'll kill you. Basically, yeah. Bunchy drops a little bit of a bombshell here. And she's like, you know, the person who actually told me that the tracker was the only person in the world who could find this boy was Nika. He's the reason that you're here. He's the reason that you're getting this job offer. <laughs> Tracker does not care. No. She says, look, I'm not going to insult you with the offer of more money at this juncture. I am going to just lay it out for you. I need the boy found. I need the boy found fast. Because it turns out agents of the king have also learned that he survived. And they are out looking for him too. So time is kind of of the essence. And Tracker's like, well, it's impossible anyway. Because... At the end of the day, the boy has been with his kidnapper for three years. That kidnapper is his family now. Like, yeah. <laughs> wherever the boy is, he's working for that guy now. So, and probably that guy's a vampire. I have a question. Has she been searching for this kid for three years and just failing at it the whole time? Quite possibly. Or has something changed and now she needs him back in a hurry? It's unclear. Um, she certainly implies that she did go looking for him initially before she lost him at the merchant caravan that got ransacked. It's possible she's been looking off and on herself, but just can't find him. Especially if, again, vampires are involved and maybe are shielding him yeah, from her. I'm just wondering, like, why why three years? Why wait so long? Well, and it's also possible that it wasn't as pressing because agents of the king didn't know that he was alive at that juncture. Mm -hmm. Like, it's one thing for the kid to be missing and to be idly looking for him in the hopes to find him again, knowing that he's still alive, because probably there's some magic involved there. But time not being of the essence because, well, I mean, wherever he is, he's safe, even if I don't know where it is. But now all of a sudden the king learns about it and the king's like, oh, that, that kid's a witness to all sorts of terrible things. We need to find him and kill him. And it's like, okay, now time is of the essence. Yeah, okay. Now we actually need to find the boy and fast. That is that is a legit scenario. Okay. That's, that's the only thing I can think of off the top of my head. No, what's fair. Having laid out the fact that this is impossible uh, does not dissuade Bunchy and she's like okay Tracker name your price what will it cost me to have you find this boy for me and Tracker's like alright here's the deal you pay me four times more than the insane amount you've already offered me and Nika's head on a spike at the end of this mission and she is like sold and that is the end of the chapter so she really 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 needs this kid back and probably doesn't care about Nika all that much yeah probably not he might be a jerk Maybe Hard he betrayed to her too. Um, yeah, but that's the end of the chapter. It was a very long chapter. There was a lot going on in it. Yeah. Pages of weird torture. Well, we kind of got introduced to, I'm going to call it the rest of the adventuring party, because I suspect that this is the group that Tracker is going to be working with, albeit reluctantly. With or against. Going forward. For at least the next little while. Mm -hmm. Until he ends up being betrayed once again by people. As you do. As you do. <laughs> I imagine this is his lot. Kind of. Yeah, but I mean, if Nika is the kind of person who has enemies in every town, I mean, there's a reason Tracker 
has been moving around himself. Oh, yeah. And that's because he also has a tendency to make enemies wherever he ends up. Oh, because he has already. a tendency to run his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the people he works for. Hired by a wife to find the cheating husband, you're going to make an enemy of the cheating husband. And let's be fair, um, Leopard is his is his one true friend. And and even Leopard's just kind of like around. I'm not going to lie. Even Leopard, I'm a little skeptical. Yeah. I'm not sure he completely this is, trusts Leopard. This is definitely a pack of cutthroats and thieves who've been tasked with finding this boy. This traveling wretched hive is definitely <laughs> going to be, be at each other's throats. Oh, yeah. One can one can surmise. Oh, yes. I, yeah. I imagine that we are now like plot moving forward. I imagine we're heading into our story uh, full steam now. Indeed. If, if I had to wager a guess about what the next chapter is going to be. Yeah, well, we'll uh, find out what that next chapter is going to be as we roll into chapter nine of our novel. You'll want to check that out in time for next week. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, you know, Taproot Edmonton has been a longtime sponsor of the Alberta Podcast Network. Um, it is one of the other pet projects of Alberta Podcast Network founder Karen Unland. <laughs> Shout out to her. We love you, Karen. And uh, they have actually rolled out their own brand new podcast. And uh, Anita, Whee! I think you should tell some people about it. Sure. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton Presents Igniting Innovation, a new podcast series on the evolution of Edmonton's tech startup scene. Emily Randall Watson explores how startups and investors are coming together to build what's next. You'll hear the stories of entrepreneurs, new and experienced tech investors, and those who are working to support the sector. Search for Igniting Innovation in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the app of your choice. You can also find it at presents.taprootedmonton.ca. Definitely something worth checking out uh, if you're at all interested in Edmonton's local startup scene. If you're not so interested in Edmonton, because again, we know some of you, not locals, who are listening to our podcast, there's definitely still going to be other podcasts worth checking out on the Alberta Podcast Network. Absolutely. Yeah, we have we have a podcast that's big in India. Yeah, Bollywood is for lovers. Yeah. Uh, we also have podcasts on sports, on entertainment, on uh, food, on any number of topics. They're all worth checking out right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Definitely there will be something there worth seeing. Absolutely. Uh, once you've found a podcast that interests you, you can probably download it on the podcatcher of your choice. While you're there, it's probably the podcatcher where you're catching this pod. So maybe That seems likely. Maybe give us a little rating and a review. That helps us out. It really does. And we... We appreciate that kind of stuff. Yeah, we would like to share our appreciation with you if you also let us know on social media. Yes. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the read along on most of those. Yeah. Pretty easy to find. Absolutely. We can also be reached via email. We are the read along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. I wanna know how you got away from the hyenas. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. Goodreads.com.